I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Happy New Year, Kiki. Happy New Year, Tuesday. And Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. Uh, Thank you for spending part of your New Year's Day with us. And the first episode of 2024, we are diving into a franchise, a film franchise, that we have yet to, to discuss. That is the Fox x-men movie franchise we have been delaying this episode for so long for multiple reasons that we will get into in this podcast but we both decided it's time with these characters have come back into the mcu the x-men characters mutants are coming to the mcu the first name drop of all of all of this in Miss Marvel, where Kamala Khan was said, you're a mutant. And then we got Professor X showing up in the Multiverse of Madness. And spoiler, if you haven't seen the movie yet, spoiler, Beast showing up in the Marvels. And yeah, and and not just any beast, beast specifically from this franchise. CGI'd. Much, I'm going to be honest, CGI looks a lot better than the fursuit Kelsey Grammer wore in the movie. But it is, it is Kelsey Grammer's voice. Yeah. And it is that, we assume that that version of beast from these films. And obviously, Deadpool 3 is coming, which is obviously going to have uh, Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine. Yeah. And we will talk more about that later. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, now that Disney owns Fox and has the rights back to the X-Men family, we have talked about this before, that Marvel... Originally, before they had a studio of their own, before Marvel Studios existed, and well before the Disney buyout, Marvel licensed their characters in family batches. So, if you wanted the rights to Marvel characters, you bought them as the Fantastic Four family, or the Spider-Man family, or the X-Men family. Or the Hulk family. Or the Hulk family, you know. Um, And that came with not just the character of Spider-Man or Wolverine or what have you. It came with a license for Spider-Man, but also... The Sinister Six and Venom and Aunt May and J. Jonah Jameson. And because that was the Spider-Man 
family. They were the characters related to the Spider-Man franchise. Um, and so there were also, you know, words and trademarks and things like that that you were also licensing. So if someone else then licensed the X-Men family, you can't mention anybody in the Spider-Man family, even if they frequently crossed over with the X-Men family. Mm-hmm. Because somebody else had license to the Spider-Man family. You know, it's like, so that's why when Marvel Studios started up and these other licenses were still out there, you know, Fox still had the X-Men, Sony still has Spider-Man. Um, they can't say things like mutant in the MCU. And that uh, started and that started this weird weird era where they were really trying to make the inhumans the new X-Men. And it didn't work. And everyone knew it wasn't going to work except the people on top of Marvel at the time. Yeah. Um, When the Fox buyout happened, everyone in fandom was like, okay, set your timers how long until X-Men. And it wasn't really until the Ms. Marvel show that we started getting hints of X-Men properly coming into the MCU. Yeah, there's, you know, Doctor Strange, and you go into the multiverse, and you see Professor X in his hover chair finally, and, you know, and then that's treated so badly. Ugh. But when we get that, like, classic X-Men animated theme in the Ms. Marvel show, and we hear the word mutant used for the first time in the MCU, everybody kind of lost their minds. Yeah, I mean, it's like, mutant, wait, it's... Part of it was like, this is how they're introducing mutants into the MCU. And the other half is, wow, we're just erasing the Inhumans, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest, I'm happy we're just ignoring the Inhumans. I mean, Um, I feel kind of bad because the Inhumans could have been good. One day we might get to it, but... It could have been good. If they were given the budget that they needed to have for that, for those effects to work in a TV show. Well, and and I think that they kind of didn't give it the... The TLC it needed? Yeah, they, they didn't really give it the, the love that it needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had an excellent cast, and it could have gone far. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Now, I'm, I want to be hopeful because I have waited over 20 years to see a good X-Men movie. 
We talked <laughs> about how long it took me to see a, a fully realized, coherently good Spider-Man movie. <laughs> and I am still hanging on, waiting for the day I see a good X-Men movie. Yeah, I mean, when Marvel Studios started, a lot of people were going, well, all of your popular characters belong to other studios, and you're starting with the B-team. Like, right now, and I'm, I'm, it, it does annoy me that we're getting this revisionist history that Iron Man and Thor and Captain America were always these love, this always these beloved a-list superstars when they weren't. I mean, you can go back and forth on Captain America a little bit, mm -hmm. but Iron Man and Thor definitely not. Yeah, I mean, I was in the theater for Iron Man two, and when Thor's hammer showed up, there was a definite groan in that theater. Really, we're doing Thor? I mean, where? Why can't we just? Why can't? Marvel just pay some money and we can get Wolverine and Spider-Man in this movie and get some real stars and yeah that was the way it was I mean people want to have the revisionist history now but that is how it was the the big heroes of the Mar of Marvel at this point in time in the 90s and the early 2000s were the X-Men and Spider-Man and mo again the, really because of those animated shows. The X-Men animated series and the Spider-Man animated series on Fox blew up these characters more popular than they, than, than they had ever been previously. And these are comics going all the way back to the 60s. So obviously, a pop, you're going to try to cash in on that. Obviously, Fox buying up the X-Men movie rights when they already had the TV rights was a no-brainer. And making this movie. One note I want to put on here before we, we really get into this. And we were talking about this off mic. This is the first Marvel production that Kevin Feige ever worked on. Yeah, this was only like, what, his like second or third movie he ever worked on as a producer-ish kind of thing? Yeah. Um... And this was the first, like, comic book type movie he ever worked on, and the first thing that had anything to do with Marvel. Hmm. Um, and from what I've read, it seems that his entire job was to come on and keep the director, Brian Singer, in line, because Brian Singer is notoriously hard to work with, and, uh, we're, we're not really gonna get into it, but, if you want to look it up, there's a reason Brian Singer isn't getting work these days. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. The less said about him, way the better. This movie gets a lot of things wrong. But I think that at the heart of it, the skeleton of this movie understands what the X-Men are as a concept is supposed to be. It's everything else that's wrong. Like the idea of prejudice and these oppressed people rising up to just be heard and humans hating these people that are different than them. Basic 
the basic building blocks of this kind of story. It's just everything else seems to like we're going to do whatever we want. And it kind of doesn't stop until the buyout. Well, we want to use this character, this character, this character, and we're going to put them in this movie, whether it makes sense or not. This movie really only gets two things completely right. And one of them, even though it's completely right, is still completely wrong. <laughs> Which is my... bizarre. Uh, c- explain. Um, the one thing it gets completely right, no notes, bravo, yes, is Patrick Stewart. Like, I remember so many fan casts of what if they made an X-Men movie. Patrick Stewart was always Professor X. In every online community, in every fan magazine, even in Wizard Magazine, was saying Patrick Stewart should play Professor Xavier in the X-Men movie. Well, there is a very famous, um, when Marvel had the rights to the Star Trek license, mm. um, they had a crossover between X-Men and Next Generation. And there was a point where they just stood around talking about how Professor Xavier and Captain Picard looked exactly alike. Because it's just two bald white guys. Yeah, I mean, it it was it was hilarious because they were just standing around going like, "Wait a minute, what? Why do why do your Professor Xavier and our Captain Picard look exactly alike?" Um, and that was like several years before this movie ever went into production. Mm-hmm. So when he was cast, everybody was like, "Okay, perfect, no notes. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll give you that one." The other thing that is completely wrong and somehow turned out totally perfect is the the casting of like a six foot two skinny Australian musical theater actor as like a five foot four buff Canadian dude like. I don't know how that works, but it does. Yeah, Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. The Australian playing a Canadian, and yeah, let's 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 get that joke out of the way. Yes, Wolverine the first animated Wolverine did have an Australian accent, and he would end up being played by an Australian man. There we've made the joke. Yeah, but I mean like Wolverine is supposed to have like, you know, for better or worse, and I hate to say it, you know, he's supposed to have, like, angry short man syndrome. Mm. That's where the fastball special comes from. He's small. He's small. Um, You can't imagine them really doing that with Hugh Jackman. And they tried it. I mean, they tried, but, like, it doesn't really work, you know? Yeah. Um, But somehow... It works. Somehow Hugh Jackman works in the part. It shouldn't, but it does. 
like there's the story of Hugh Jackman wearing a off the rack Wolverine costume at a Comic Con. And everyone complaining, oh, you're too tall to be Wolverine. You're too tall. And then when he finally takes the mask off and it's Hugh Jackman. Oh, my God, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. So those two things, one of them is perfect. One of them shouldn't work, but somehow is still perfect. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Everything else in this movie is kind of WTF what is wrong with you people? And some of the things are so baffling of like, this was so easy to get right. Why did you go out of your way to get it wrong? I'm okay with the concept of the, um, for lack of a better term, the audience surrogate character. Because it's worked twice with X-Men. Because they've done it with Kitty Pride and they've done it with Jubilee. To introduce new fans to these characters, you have a new kid character. And he's gonna, she's going to represent the viewpoint of the audience who have no idea who these characters are. And the characters will be introduced as she meets them. Like I said, Kitty Pride, Jubilee. But for this movie, they use... Rogue. Not like I said, the concept works. The concept works, but why Rogue? And I say this because Kiki, I know that Rogue is your favorite X Men. I mean, Rogue is not just my favorite X Men, Rogue is my favorite Marvel character ever. I mean, a a lot of people think, you know, Loki, because that's kind of the new hotness. But, like, I grew up, you know, with Rogue. Like, Rogue is my ride or die. And this movie has been, like, the thing that will get me possibly the angriest for 23 years. Um, Do you think Anna Paquin was miscast? I don't think it's Anna Paquin's fault. I I think she could have done okay-ish, you know? Mm -hmm. She's a good actress, and I'm, I'm fine with her, you know? One of the main problems is, is that we talked about how they have to do things by families. Well, the problem is, is that they have the rights to Rogue. Who do they not have the rights to? Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers. And Rogue's full power set from the moment she appears in the comics. Because I have Rogue's first issue, like, framed on my wall, okay? The first time we see Rogue is Rogue stealing Carol Danvers' powers and throwing her off the Golden Gate Bridge. This is literally the first time we see Rogue. Um, so without Carol Danvers, 
we do not have Rogue's full power set. This becomes a problem because without that, I hate to say it, but Rogue is kind of a Morlock. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, we, we might have to explain Morlocks to the to fans who may not have watched the series and all that. But yeah, yeah they're they're the they're the mutants that don't fit into regular society. Either they physically do not appear as normal humans, or their abilities refuse. Uh, their abilities can't work in normal society. Hence, like Rogue, Rogue cannot physically touch another human being without absorbing their life force, as they say in the movie. Yeah, but the thing is, is, like, in order for for Rogue to really be a contributing member of the X-Team, is she does need, like, a little bit of oomph. Yeah, she needs that super strength, and she needs to fly. I mean, what she gets from Carol Danvers is the invulnerability, the flight, super strength, you know. So, she is a capable fighter. Plus, if she needs to, she can steal powers from enemies uh to incapacitate them or for you know to use against Hmm. enemies you know but the thing is is that if you take away the carol danvers power set she is what she is in this movie which is she is a damsel in distress MacGuffin. And they say that they used her for this movie because, you know, I've studied a lot about this movie over the years. And they said that they wanted to, like, they aged her down from when she shows up in the comic because she's older when she shows up in the comic to join the team. I mean, she was with Mystique and the Brotherhood at the, in her first appearance. Yeah, she she was, she was adopted by Mystique, and she was part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And her name is not Marie. Her name is not Marie. I don't care how they retconned it after this movie. Her name is not Marie. It's not Anna Marie either. Stop saying that. I will never accept that. Go to hell. Anyway. Um, they change so many tiny little things where you're like, why do you bother changing this? Like, she really, the character as written is Kitty Pride, Which is weird because Kitty Pride is in this movie. Yeah, as a background character. Jubilee as well. And they take part of Jubilee's personality and give it to Rogue as well. And Jubilee is in this movie. So... Why? It's like, okay, I don't, I don't get it, but you do you. But also little things like, okay, 
she is from a fictional place in the comics called Caldecott County in Mississippi. And instead, they give it to, in the movie, she's from a real city called Meridian, Mississippi. Like, why? Maybe Singer or whoever didn't want to use a fake town. They wanted to use a real place. But why? Like I said, it doesn't need to be a one-to-one recreation of the comic. That's what the comic is for. And like I said, the skeleton of the movie gets the X-Men as a concept down. It's just everything else seems to just be a hodgepodge of what character can we use here, whether it makes sense or not. Um, Case in point, Jean Grey. They call her Jean Grey. She's in a relationship with Cyclops, but it's Beast's. Dr. Jean Grey, the mutant uh, rights activist. That's Beast. And it works because Beast has that physical mutation. He's all furry, but he speaks very eloquently. He's very intelligent, and he speaks for mutants' rights. But we give that to the very beautiful woman. We're just going to call her Dr. Jean Grey and have her be the mutant rights activist. Now, I get it. I get why, because practical effects at the time were not at the level it needed to be to properly do Beast on camera. This is 2000. We're still in that, I mean, the prequel, Star Wars prequels had just come out. And the CGI still really hasn't gotten there yet. And practical effects still haven't gotten there yet. I, I get it. But if when I first saw the movie, that's what kind of gets like, why are they, why are they giving these characteristics to Jean Grey? I get why. For you, it was Rogue. For me, it was Jean Grey. And the thing is, is that Beast was going to be in this movie because there was, you know, there were characters that were going to be in this movie that were deleted. And. They had, um, like, sketches of what Beast was going to look like and stuff. And I've seen some of the sketches, and all of the sketches are like, okay, it's kind of a furry dude, but, like, you have concept art. It's called the comics. Why are you changing it? We're still in that era where comic book movies are afraid to be comic book movies. Yeah, let's get into that. The suits. I would prefer yellow spandex. Yes. And it took us 23 years to get a picture of Hugh Jackman in yellow and blue spandex. And it looks freaking amazing. Was anybody of note complaining about that when they saw those pictures? No, they weren't. Everybody was thrilled about it because it looks awesome. I mean, we would get the teaser of the brown Wolverine costume in a deleted scene for the Wolverine. And I'm so sad they never went with went in that direction. But yeah, I mean, we get I would have been okay with that too. Mm-hmm. Cuz that's 
you know, a comic accurate thing. Mm-hmm. But like you said, this was when comic book movies were still afraid to be comic book movies. And it really wouldn't be until the MCU where they were like, okay, we're just going to have a guy in an armor suit. We're going to have a guy in red, white, and blue throw a shield and a, and, and, and a guy in Viking armor throw a hammer. These are the characters. And we're going to put the hottest guy in the universe in the goofiest, like, curved horn helmet. And nobody's going to say a damn thing about it because it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, does it look goofy? You bet your ass it does. Is everybody going to buy it? You bet your ass they will. Yeah. It's going to be a gajillion dollar franchise. And the thing is, the thing that I really hated is how much this movie, and this movie was always going to kind of make a bunch of money because it was the only thing we had at the time. Like I said, we're still riding the high of X-Men the Animated Series. The show had just ended at this point, but yeah, we're still riding that popularity train. X-Men is still the new hotness. It was going to make money. We're desperate. I mean, we've talked about this before. We are desperate for comic book movies. If you're a comic book fan, we're not getting comic book movies at this point. We're like, what was the thing that came out before this? Blade? We are desperate for comic book movies. But, you know, as I've said before, it's the one, two, three punch of Blade, the first X Men movie, and the first Spider Man movie. That really shows that Hollywood can make a big blockbuster out of these comic book movies. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm just saying, like, we are desperate for anything. And also, Patrick Stewart alone, you just tell me, like, Patrick Stewart's going to be Professor X and I'm showing up to this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that sold me. I I knew some of the other people. You know, it's like I knew Ian McKellen. I knew Halle Berry. I knew Famke Jansen. Um, Ray Park was Darth Again, Maul. Yeah, he was Darth Maul. And and all oh, Anna Paquin was that little girl from the piano that won an Oscar. So I was like, OK, that's that's weird. But all right. You know. But then, like, I I started seeing trailers, and I started going, like, hmm, oh. And I think one of the things that that really got me was, like, why, why did they do Mystique so dirty? The scales and the nudity. To the point that they actually freaking adapted that into the comic. It was short-lived and no one liked it. But yeah, there was a brief time where the Mystique movie look of the scales and no clothing made it into the comic. Don't know why they decided to do that. Again, probably the same reason Rogue started being called Anna Marie because we got to have a... uh, brand symbiosis between the movies and the comics 
Well, and in the comics, they changed to that, like, really boring all-black costumes for a while. Uh, the and people universe, hated that, yeah. too. Yeah. But the thing is, is, like, I felt so bad for Rebecca Romaine because they had originally um, wanted, they were going to do, like, this kind of... Um, I heard her talk about this in interviews back in in the day and they they were talking to her about like, you know, what was the process like? And she said, well, the original thing was it was supposed to basically be like food dye. And they were going to put like food dye on her body. And that would have been fine, right? Because food dye is non-toxic. Mm-hmm. But apparently the director decided he wanted her to be more opaque. And had them put, like, a thicker paint on her. And apparently it was getting into, like, all sorts of, like, she was swallowing it and stuff. Oh. And she said that, like, she would go home and, like, vomit up blue for hours. And it was, like, causing all sorts of problems with her body and, like, making her sick and stuff. And I felt so bad for her listening to that because I'm like, you know... I I understand that there are certain things that actors agree to go through that might be, like, uncomfortable or whatever, but, like, good grief. We've we've got to learn to be better. And which is why I never blame Jennifer Lawrence for not wanting to do the makeup every time. Like, I will wear the makeup when I, only if I have to, otherwise I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm I totally agree with her. And the thing is is like Mystique has such an awesome and iconic costume in the comics. That, that white dress, white dress yeah. with the like the weird the skulls? skulls and yeah. stuff like oh man, like when I see cosplayers at conventions doing that outfit, it is so cool. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like and it requires so much less paint and it mo- it would move so cool on camera and fight scenes and stuff. Yeah. Like the only reason for her to be in that like, you know, silicon pasties and body paint thing is just pervy reasons. Someone and, wanted to see Rebecca remain naked. Yeah, and it's like she's a good actress, you know, like she's killing it over on on Strange New Worlds now. And yeah, I mean, I wa- I'm not going to lie. I watched The Librarians primarily because she was in it. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, and the what woman did they do can to her? act with clothes on. And what did they have her do? They put a filter over her voice for her one line in the movie. Yes, awful. So, yeah, 
I, I feel so bad for her even to this day. Yeah. I'm glad she's getting better parts now. Mm-hmm. And and it and it sucks because Mystique is such an awesome character in the comics, and they really throughout the course of these films were just like, eh, you know, here be time, a be a side character. The only time they ever gave her good writing was because Jennifer Lawrence was playing her, and now she was the new hotness in Hollywood. Yeah. That's that's it, because Rebecca Romain, for, again, great actress, they really did nothing with her. And then the first, and then, oh, we have this new hot actress, Jennifer Lawrence, playing the young Mystique. Oh, now she's an Oscar winner. Well, we gotta give her more lines. We gotta give her a side plot. I want to address one thing. The wannabe badass line that floats like a lead balloon oh yeah there's a story behind it so yes everyone knows this one everyone has made the story everyone has made the joke at the end of the movie during the big final fight scene storm fights toad and storm has this big badass line that would go great in any action movie what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning what is the proper response? The joke goes, it croaks. That is the joke. And But what do we have Halle Berry in the most deadpan line saying the same thing that happens to everything else? Apparently, this was the punchline to a joke that got eliminated from the movie. Because apparently, they were going to give Toad uh, a gimmick where he would ask rhetorical questions as he taunts his taunts the X-Men throughout the whole movie. The original plan was to have him have rhetorical questions. That was his gimmick. And that since that got cut from the movie, the punchline makes no sense. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I never realized that there was, like, supposed to be a joke there. No one did. No one did because, like I said, this was back when, um, this is back when Josh Wheaton was originally, uh, we haven't mentioned it, but yeah, Josh Wheaton was one of the first people to, uh, submit a draft for the movie. And apparently that was something that was left over in one of his original treatments. And they just cut the joke and left the punchline. Now the punchline doesn't make sense. Uh, I was I was doing the rewatch and I, I, I said, you know, because I, I kind of, I've seen the movie so many times, you know, you kind of just can't help but quote that line along with it. It's just like, it's such a bad line. And all, and I, and I said, you know, I'm sure whoever wrote that line thought they were being clever somehow, but I can't understand how they thought they were being clever. Like I said, also, I mean, I get why they, maybe they didn't want to make it a joke. I don't know, but it, uh, also, what the hell is with this accent that Halle Berry is doing in this movie? Well, I can, I can answer that. 
because, you know, Storm or Monroe was, she's supposed to be from Africa, a small tribe in Africa. And why she, that ends, was, up marrying, why she ends up marrying Black Panther in the comics. Yeah. But that was Halle Berry's attempt to be like kind of non-specific African tribal, you know, and it didn't work. And so in subsequent movies, they were like, please, please stop doing the accent. Comparing Halle Berry's accent here to the Black Panther movies. Well, that's because they they actually had like you know dialect coaches mm-hmm. on the Black Panther movies, and in this one they they were just like, yeah, do whatever you want, <laughs> like. And I mean, and you mentioned families. That's kind of why in the comics they ended up breaking up Storm and Black Panther because the movie rights were now at different studios, different families. Yeah. And sadly, since the, uh, they've ended up with full understanding, they've killed off T'Challa in the MCU. We'll never see those two characters together. And that hurts me. <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to quibble with you a little bit. Because you are asserting that the skeleton of the film understands the X-Men and I'm going to quibble with that a little bit. Okay. Because the main plot point of this film is that Magneto's plan hinges on taking the World leaders who are going to vote on the Mutant Registration Act and similar acts around the world and giving them a forced uh, mutation via his, you know, machine that he has come up with somehow. So he kidnaps Senator Kelly which is always the guy that's, you know, leading the Mutant Registration Act. He tests it out on him first. The machine is powered by Magneto and his powers. And it triggers a mutation in Senator Kelly. And what Magneto doesn't know is that it ends up killing Senator Kelly. Okay. But Magneto's plan hinges on the machine needs his power to function, but it will kill him if he powers the machine enough to turn the entire UN delegation at Ellis Island into mutants. So he kidnaps Rogue to give her his powers so that she can power the machine, make the sacrifice, and turn everybody into mutants. And then he will lead everybody into the wonderful new mutant utopia. 
Now here's where I have a quibble. This fundamentally misunderstands the character of Magneto as he is generally presented in the comics. Magneto in the comics is a true believer to his core. Magneto will do anything for the sake of mutant rights or mutant supremacy if you want to see it that way if you if magneto truly believed that mutant utopia would be brought about by putting a bullet through his own brain you would not be able to blink before he would have done it that is how strong his belief is and they make him a like but you know but my brothers will need me to lead them into the utopia so i have to sacrifice this terrified little girl that is not magneto from the comics that i understand but what i mean by is the the general i if you have to make a elevator pitch of what the X-Men is and say, here, these are people with are born with superpowers. People are afraid of them. One side believes that they can coexist with humanity. The other side believes in, in superiority. Go. And it kind of understands that part. Like I said, the base skeleton of what the X-Men are, it kind of gets. It's everything else they get wrong. It's the characterization. It's the characters themselves. It's the plot. Like it said, it's that is what I meant. Well, yeah, but I mean, but where where I'm having a quibble is is it's like saying like, well, you know, Zack Snyder understood that Superman is about an alien who comes from Krypton and has powers. But also, he thinks he's a Jesus allegory. You know, it's like... <laughs> that is misunderstanding it at a fundamental level. This is a guy yeah. who does the right thing. Superman is a character who does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And that is a core, fundamental part of, 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 of that character. But it's also a holdover from this era of comic book movies that are afraid to be comic book movies. Yeah. And and I I think that that is my other major thing. I like Ian McKellen, of course, because who doesn't? Mm -hmm. But the way they write Magneto just grates on me because they turn him into a coward. And that has never really been Magneto's thing, mm -hmm. you know? When they first created the X-Men in the comics, and I'm not saying this is a perfect one-to-one -one because it was basically a bunch of white men not necessarily understanding the nuances here, but, you know, the, the men who created the X-Men said that their idea was that they wanted the conflict between Professor X and Magneto to be akin to the ideological conflict between 
Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. That one was saying more, we can peacefully coexist and we can do things, you know, with more peaceful resistance and just showing people that we are good people and that we can coexist and, you know, love and brotherhood. And that one was more like, "Eh, no, we need to be a little bit more forceful in taking our rights, you know? And it's it's not a a terribly great comparison, I'm going to say. Especially since Martin Luther King was never a pacifist. Yeah. He did fight. And... And Malcolm X did kind of roll some of that back in his later years prior to his death. But, you know, it, it is it is kind of a, a shallow version of, of understanding the ideological differences there. Easy enough to explain to white kids in the 1960s. Yeah. But that but that was kind of the idea, is that one was more on the you know, kind of let's hold hands in kumbaya kind of side. And one was more like, excuse me, we need to be a little bit more aggressive about asserting our our rights, you know? I like it when X-Men gets back to that kind of core root that Magneto is not necessarily a supervillain. That the, the best thing they ever did for Magneto, and yes, this is a retcon, this was not part of his original character, was making him a Holocaust survivor. And that scene at the beginning of the movie is done wonderfully. Of Kid Magneto just wanting to be with his mom. And his powers flourishing, coming out of him for the first time as he bends that gate back. I mean, that one scene alone got Fox saying, hey, we need to make a Magneto movie. Yeah. Granted, the Magneto movie never happened and got reworked to being first class. But the fact that that was talked about as back as this for a solo Magneto as a young man movie. But you kind of get it, you know, Magneto, he was in this situation before. He was on the, you know, he his family was gathered up and slaughtered for just being Jewish. Yeah. And he's, and he's now seeing that that is happening in his world. Again, people being rounded up and persecuted for something they were born as. Something that we're still going through now. So we need the X-Men now more than ever to kind of uh go through that you know these are just people who are born how they are they're not evil they're just who they are the thing is is that one of the the greatest things they ever did with mutants as a concept is that when they created the idea of mutants in marvel comics they were meant to be the ultimate other. 
So they could stand in for whoever was being the scapegoat of the time. I mean, they even comment that Marvel even commented on the AIDS crisis by creating a disease that only affects mutants. Yeah. And so as as the years have gone on and as various social uh, things have evolved. Mutants in the Marvel comics have been how they've talked about it, you know? And originally it was the civil rights movement. It's been, you know, the AIDS crisis. It's been LGBT issues in general. It's been anti-Semitism, it's been all sorts of things. Whatever the general scapegoat of the hour is, Marvel Comics tends to write that in as the metaphor for mutants at the time. And I like that that's sort of the ongoing purpose of mutants in Marvel Comics. Because it's good to have a group that can just be the metaphor for whatever is being othered in society at the time. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about whatever you need to. And I do like that. So I do like that we have mutants that are Holocaust survivors. And I do like that we have, you know, gay mutants. And I do like that we have mutants that can change their genders. And I do, you know... Mm -hmm. So we we have mutants that can blend in very easily and we have the Morlocks that have to live in the sewers because, you know, you step outside and you're immediately known to be a mutant, you know. Mm. So that has always been what I've loved about X-Men as a concept in the comics is that they are infinitely useful in whatever you need them to be. And I like some of the things they do in the later movies. Mm -hmm. You know, what is it in the, in the second movie where Bobby goes home to his parents and they're like, have you tried not being a mutant? You know? Yeah. The problem is, is that in the, in the first movie it's a little bit shallow you know so many things that that make magneto's plan just so unlike magneto to me mm. like it seems to me that the magneto that i know from the comic if you tell him that like 
okay, these people are afraid of us because they think that we're all dangerous. And your machine is going to kill them all. It almost seems like he would stop and go like, huh? Maybe I'm pushing it too far. Yeah, maybe I need to rethink this a little bit. Can we tweak the... Or, I mean, or, I mean, there are riders that would have Magtino said, you know what? They hate me anyway. If I kill them, then, well, that's less, that's, that's less adversaries for me. But now you're, now they'll see you, now they really are going to see you as a monster. Well, they already see me as a monster, so what am I losing? Yeah, I mean, it's, if he wanted to take that tactic, okay. But it just, he kind of shrugs it off like, meh, you know. And that's kind of how he says, well, they, you know, okay, if they die, they die. That's not my concern. My concern is getting rid of the people that is opposing this mutant registration bill. I think that there would have been a, I mean, to, to, to bring it back to Rogue, I think there could have been a way to give Rogue her comic powers through Magneto, through this machine like you can have her invulnerability be because he held on she held on to wolverine too long so now she has a little bit of that regeneration ability and some of his strength and now he can she can fly because magneto held on to her a little too long but all we get is the white streak in her hair yeah and that's the problem is is like through all of these movies Rogue has, like, no real function. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? And not to mention, I mean, again, like I said, it doesn't have to be a one-to-one, but Rogue's love interest is Iceman. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a full, a complete one-to-one, but there were, it did... It, bother me and you know and we still really haven't seen a good gambit on screen yet yeah if this was like the only x-men movie and there were none of the sequels i would probably forgive a lot of the things they got wrong because it was just one and done but because this became a franchise and they changed so much in this one movie that led to so many changes in every subsequent movie. And that 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 idea of we're just going to put whatever characters in this movie, whether it makes sense or not for those characters to interact at this point in time or even be the ages we need them to be. Yeah. Not to mention the utter waste that this movie has for Sabretooth. Oh my god, yeah, that that was, yeah. One of the big things about Sabretooth is his relationship to Wolverine. Now granted, at the time this was written, a lot of Wolverine's backstory had not been written because X, uh, Marvel wanted to keep it vague, but they kind of, their hands were kind of forced because either we write Wolverine's origin or Fox is going to write Wolverine's origin. We got to get to it first. 
so we get that 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 relationship between you know uh, uh, Wolverine and Sabretooth kind of being brothers and then they're being buddies and then being rivals and that is all I mean granted the brother thing wasn't even a thing at the time this movie was being made I can forgive that but the big thing is that these two can even at the even in the cartoon these two characters knew each other they had a past and they hate each other and they sort of tease it in the movie by Wolver uh Sabretooth picking up Wolverine's dog tag like he knows the guy and then all of that kind of gets tossed to the side like they don't even acknowledge that these two know each other if they even do and it's all a red herring because they want the audience to believe that Magneto is after Wolverine when he's after Rogue. Yeah. Can we can we talk about like what in the hell is wrong with Toad? What's with the tongue and the spitting goop and the like, I mean, Toad's power set was just, he's got really strong legs. I mean, even in the comic, he didn't look like he does in the, in the movie. He doesn't have the scaly skin. He's just a stocky dude. He can jump real high. But it feels like they wanted to make him a Morlock by having him have the scaly skin. Well, I think they just wanted to... to, to... Be like, you know, why is he called Toad, Mommy? I don't know. He's got green skin. Yeah. The well, thing I... is, once again, you kind of wasted your your Ray Park, you know? Yeah. I don't know. They could have had another character in here that, that wasn't Toad. It'd probably be better. Like I said, some of the characters in these in these movies and the roles they play just feel like we're going to use this character, this character, this character, whether it makes sense or not. There's, there's so much in here where I'm like, you know, it, it's such tiny little things. Why did you bother to change them? Like I said, if this was a one and done, I wouldn't have cared. I wouldn't have the problem, the issues with it again, because it was just one, one movie and they never did anything else with it. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a one for one remake of the comic. Yeah, I don't know. I, I will say another thing they did get right, though. Mm. Cyclops is forever and always a dick. Yeah. I mean, like, every version of Cyclops is a dick. Yes, even the cartoon version. And, you know, I feel like they jumped into the love triangle a little too quickly. It kind of feels like you don't really know where that came from other than just it's in the comic because it's kind of like he just woke up in the X-Mansion and was like, pretty lady, want pretty lady. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. not like they really have any chemistry other than just he's like, you are pretty and I want you. And she's like, you are Hugh Jackman and you are hot, but I'm with other dude. Like, even the TV show had established that there was, you know, there's something there, but it's, uh, you know, like, this is, uh, when the X-Men series starts, there's the the implication that these three have known each other for years, 
And yes, Gene and Scott are in a relationship, but over the years of working together and living together, Logan has developed feelings for Gene. Which is fine. There's not really a way to do that in one movie. Especially that this is Wolverine is another uh, brand new character into this world of X-Men. It's just they're together because the comic books say they're together. Or they're having this love triangle. Well, the thing is, is like. They could have had some sort of. Scene where. You know, she saved his life and it was kind of flirty or whatever, you know, not him waking up in the, in the thing, like in the middle of a battle or something, you know? And he's kind of a, and even Logan's kind of a jerk about it because, oh, you just want an excuse to get my shirt off. Yeah. Speaking of shirt off, I, I had forgotten how like normally buff Hugh Jackman looks in this movie, yeah, and I just, appreciate it. He's just toned. He didn't go full huge jacked man yet. Yeah, and I like it. It it looks healthy and like decent. Mm-hmm. Like there's not like every vein in his body bulging out because he's super dehydrated and all that. Like, he looks like a healthy human being who works out. Your average gym bro. (laughs) I mean, it's it's like, you know, he looks good, but he looks healthy. I'm not worried he's about to end up in the hospital with renal failure. Mm. And I appreciate that. Please let us go back to that. I'm not saying that didn't take work, but you know, it I mean, it doesn't it doesn't look like he was probably super miserable and on the verge of death. Yeah, I mean, there's that meme of him in this movie and they say Hugh Jackman, and then him in Origins and saying Huge Jacked Man. Yeah. I don't know. As these movies go on, he, he looks less and less healthy and it, it just Oh, it breaks my heart. Thank. I mean, he even says he's only going to come back to do Wolverine if he doesn't have to do all the the rippling biceps and the dehydration and the diet. And they're 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 putting him in a full body suit for the new movie. I I, I stand by his his line in the sand. Yeah. Go go, go him. That's I I think all actors should put that in their contract. There's reasonable and there's unreasonable, and please stay on the side of reasonable. I mean, it's kind of like um, we—I don't know—I don't know if we mentioned this in the podcast, but like in Guardians Three, where Batista is now wearing a full body suit because he doesn't want to have be with his shirt off and have that all of that makeup all over his body. And I, I just mentioned Jennifer Lawrence only wearing the makeup when she has to. Yeah, I mean. You know what? Like, use CGI to put, like, you know, Rob Liefeld abs on people if you want or something. Like, stop harming people's health. 
Anyway, yeah, I I did not like the way they handled the out of nowhere love triangle because mm. it's built up in the in the comics, and that's but, over years. Yeah, but it's it's just kind of like it's in here because these people are hot and the comic says so. Mm. Although I do appreciate Wolverine stealing Cyclops's motorcycle. Right. <laughs> Again, that is probably the most accurate thing this movie does. Yeah, that's that's very comic accurate. <laughs> I think another thing that I didn't like in the movie was them killing off Senator Kelly. Because that's kind of his thing is that he's this he's one of for lack of a better term, he's one of the X-Men's biggest enemies. And he's just a politician. He's using the power of politics and litigation to go against mutants for because of his own prejudices. He eventually becomes the president in the comics. That yeah, I think I st- I think I still have like a vote for Senator Kelly button somewhere in my from when that was the the comic run. So you could have easily had that be a long running storyline in the films or any of the other just a human enemy. Um William Stryker is probably the biggest egregious change from comic to movie because in the comics, he's just a preacher. He's a holy man that uses the power of religion to call uh, the X-Men and the mutants demons from hell because they're different. Again, something that still happens today. But in the movies, they make him a military man because that's not tough enough. I think if they had made it now, they probably would have kept it the same. Mm-hmm. But Again, remember it, in 2000, the military industrial complex was kind of more, you know. I get it. But like, yeah, you can have Magneto and you can have Mr. Sinister and Juggernaut and all of these superpower beings. But I don't know. I do like the stories where the X-Men's big enemy are just people in power, use, abusing their power because they can. Yeah. And I, you could have you done the movie just based on that. I understand it won't make a great action movie. But it would have been a very interesting thought piece. Or even have it be the hypocrisy of it, where Senator Kelly is employing the Brotherhood of Mutants to take down the X-Men to keep going this 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 thing of the anti-mutant prejudice. You know? That would have been interesting. Well, the thing is, is that we've talked about this before in so many different things, but there are always collaborators. Mm-hmm. There are always people who are like, you know, I'm going to be the exception if I can just prove to them that I'm the good one, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's good stories in there about like, you know, you could have had a good story about, you know, we're, we're gonna, we've got all these people here who are volunteering for the, 
mutant registration. They they are showing they're not afraid and everything, and then find out that they're being, you know, given drugs to take away their mutations or, you know, put in a camp somewhere or, you know. That would have been a good storyline. Mm-hmm. But, but it's not action enough for the 2000s, I suppose. Well, but the thing is, is that you can always have, like, you know how in the in the later movie there's the striker has his kid who can find mutants? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's a collaborator who can find mutants. You know? Mm-hmm. And then there's a group of mutants who are helping round up other mutants, you know? Or you and could you I have mean, to fight them. You I know? mean, we have, we start with Pyro being part of, being a student at Xavier's school. Eventually he does switch over to Magneto's side, but he could be the collaborator. Hey, you want the, the, the tech for Cerebro? I got it, and you can find your mutants. Yeah, you know. There's all kinds of ways you can go with that. Mm-hmm. But that there's the saying that there's the the peace that is just the absence of conflict and there's the peace that is the presence of justice. Mm. And you know, there are people who will collaborate just to to keep from having conflict. And they don't realize that you can't really have peace until you have justice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think those are always kind of the the better stories. Yeah, and who knows what we'll get in the new MCU X Men films whenever those get off the ground. Likely won't happen until they do this the Secret Wars movie. Whenever that happens. Yeah. Uh, So who knows? Maybe we'll get more X-Men reveals in the other Marvel movies. Who knows? I mean, Deadpool 3 is right around the corner. Well, the, you know, there are people who are theorizing that Deadpool 3 is going to be based off of Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. I've heard Deadpool kills the Fox universe for a few years. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the the idea is that he might like kill that universe and then merge it with the MCU somehow. Mm-hmm. Um and so that would be interesting if so. So like th- that's in July, that's that's 7 months from now. So we should be seeing a trailer within the next two months, maybe. And we'll probably get a, be- a better idea of what that Deadpool 3 is going to be about. But, uh, yeah, as for this movie, so Kiki, let's, let's, just, let's just wrap it up. Kiki does X-Men, 2000, Fox Universe, have the magic. Uh, Professor X and Wolverine have the magic. Everything else, eh. I am going to say yes, but only because it's a reflection of the time it was made in. 
Like, if you want to know what a pre-MCU Marvel movie is like, go here. And instead, there's still some good parts in here. There's still a foundation of something in here. It's so wrapped up in the in the old mentality of comic book movies, afraid to be comic book movies, that it just never reaches its full potential. And that's the entire Fox X-Men universe as a whole. So uh, let's move on to next week. Uh, Kiki, Disney has decided to uh, correct their mistakes and release uh, some of their of their direct to Disney Plus movies into theaters. Um, Luca is getting a theatrical theatrical release in uh, in April, I believe. Turning Red is getting a theatrical release in February. And uh, later in July, later in January, Soul is actually going to be in theater. So we are going to be taking a look at that movie right before it goes into theaters. Kind of feel like we're doing this in reverse. <laughs> but next week, Pixar Soul, uh, we are going to ask, what if Souls had feelings? I feel that's an oxymoron somewhere. I don't. I feel that's <laughs> yeah. So come back next week for Pixar Soul, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.